Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Moment or Two, a podcast about Hellgate London. Uh, apologies for the lull in episodes. We were hitting a pretty good monthly schedule for a while there, uh, but we usually record in a small room together so that we can really get into yelling about these details in these books. Um, unfortunately, Sydney has actually been in lockdown for several months due to an outbreak of the Delta strain, so a meeting up hasn't been possible. Um, I promise you, the prophecy will be fulfilled. We will reach the end of Covenant and discuss the goodies that await. Um, but before that, we've got a surprise or two sort of planned to sort of uh, make use of the fact that we can't meet up in person and do something interesting. Uh, so in today's episode, we have a special guest, Bill Roper. After working on the Warcraft, Starcraft, and Diablo franchises at Blizzard North in the 90s and early 2000s, Roper went on to co-found Flagship Studios, the developer of Hellgate London, the video game that inspired these books we keep talking about. Uh, after Flagship, he moved on to Cryptic Studios, then Disney, then Improbable. I believe he's currently the chief creative author, ah, sorry, the chief creative officer at Author Digital slash Adept Games. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Did I miss anything? No, I, my gosh, it makes it sound like I've been doing a lot of stuff, but uh, yeah, no, that's it. That's that's pretty much the list. (laughs) We we were looking at like the list of things that you worked on Hmm. like earlier today. And like, I didn't realize that you'd worked on like Star Trek online and stuff. Like you've worked on a lot of different things. Yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. The first, you know, nine years at Blizzard, uh, where, you know, I met Dave Brevik and Eric and Max Schaefer, who we started flagship with, uh, you know, was creating our own IPs, making our own worlds, um, having pretty unprecedented and, you know, to be really candid, unexpected successes. Uh, then, you know, we left, we started flagship studios. Um, you know, that wasn't a success in the end, but I think that, you know, now, especially as we get further and further from that game coming out, more and more people are like, wow, this, this game was a lot better than I think it got credit for. Um, you know, I really, I was very uh, politely mm. surprised to read an article that got written talking about how Hellgate London actually started the shooter looter mm. genre uh, because yeah, yeah. it, you know, came out first. Um, we just approached it from the other side. We were making an ARPG that had shooter elements, mm. right? Whereas uh, the much better known brand that is out uh, did a shooter, <laughs> right? That had RPG elements. Mm. And so I think that obviously was the thing that clicked. Uh, but you know, it was, uh, it was great. And then when I went to cryptic, that was the first time I worked with other people's IPs, Hmm. right. Worlds that other people had built and like Star Trek, which is of course a fantastic one to be able to work with, uh, and have kind of, you know, done both sides of the fence. And then really got to sit on the other side of the fence at Disney where Hmm. everybody's using our IPs Hmm. to make their content. Um, so I, have been, I've been very lucky, uh, and, and worked hard and, uh, hope to keep doing it until uh they basically just you know kick me off the planet (laughs) so what are you what what are you what are you currently working on at author digital slash adept games yeah so at author digital um we've working on a couple things one is a technology that we've talked about um a bit which is called active story it's actually a way that we connect uh games and players uh across not only devices like crossplay, like you'll see in a Fortnite or something, mm-hmm. but actually across genres. So you can have mm-hmm. action RPGs, playing with uh, strategy games, playing with casual mobile games, mm-hmm. all on their own platforms, um, mm-hmm. You know, all playing their types of games. We connect them through uh, meta world connections. They all basically play on the same world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's something that requires a lot of coordination mm-hmm. um, from the design standpoint. So what we've been focusing on is basically creating um, demos and games that show off how that works um, and those connections. We recently have added a component that actually does 
a connection between games and streamed content. So you could, for example, watch a show on, uh, I'll make one up, like HBO Max, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and let's say you're watching uh, a, a DC movie and something could happen in the film that if you had a game that was connected through our platform, it would then like unlock content in your game because you've watched it on the mm-hmm. stream. And you could even go the other direction if you coordinated that with the people that are making their shows. Um, oh. So we, we really want to broaden what people being in a gaming community means. So the way I think about it is we're taking all those experiences you get when you're playing in a guild and we're elevating those to the franchise level. So imagine if everybody who was playing Star Wars games all could actually give each other quests and rewards and, you know, kind of be part of, you know, either the Empire or the Rebellion at the highest level mm. possible. Mm. Um, so it's it's big. It's a big, crazy idea. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've got some stuff that shows it off and we've been working on some other other stuff I can't talk about in terms of products, <laughs> that's uh, but that's always the way it is. That's the way it is with video games. You're always working on something you can't talk about. You're super excited about. You're like, oh, I want to show people, and you can't. Well, um, that's uh, that's actually absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think there's a lot yeah. of that meta meta layer stuff is definitely coming to the forefront with stuff like uh, Fortnite and like I can definitely there's mm-hmm. definitely companies that I can think about and go like, oh yeah, I could see them deploying that at some point. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the, that meta layer, like how do you tell stories not only in a single game but across the franchise mm. is in a, in a very different way, the way we approached Hellgate, mm. right? When we came out with the game, we launched in a lot of different things. We had the book series. We mm. had uh, figures mm. that were done by Weta Workshops. We had uh, anime comics that were mm-hmm. done out of South Korea. We had traditional US-based comics mm. that were done with Dark Horse. You know, we we had a lot of ways where we came across with the story and the world through different media just to try to get people interested mm. in, you know, kind of this this story we were trying to tell, this post-demonic apocalypse world that, you know, we took the advantage of setting in just a fantastic city, uh, you know, London. Mm. Uh, plus it was a great excuse to have to go there at the time to do a fact-finding <laughs> tour of like, well, how, what does it really I, look like? I mean, you know, of course, they're not, around... they're not gonna buy yeah. it otherwise. I mean, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, for, yeah, it's for the players, I'm failing yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, it was for the players, it was for the players. <laughs> um, I am absolutely bursting with questions, but I wanna start with something kind of lighthearted. Uh, last year, we connected on Twitter over our celebrations of the anniversary of Hellgate London. How are you planning to celebrate this time around? Because it's not far off, right? It's, uh, it's this month. Yeah, it's, it's off, right? uh, just around the corner. Halloween yeah. every year, which yeah, is interesting, yeah. right? We It just kind of worked out that way. Mm. Um, I, I think probably it would have been better for everybody involved if it could have been a, <laughs> uh, like, say, a Valentine's Day thing we did uh, uh-huh. uh, or something or Ides of March. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it came out when, uh, you know, to be candid, we ran out of money, mm. right? We just couldn't. We, we had paid a lot out of our pockets at the end to get some extra time. We did all kinds of crazy deals um, to just like, you know, have stuff in the game. Um, If you look at the back of the box for me, I'm holding up my box right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's 10 logos on the back of the box. It's like a NASCAR here in the US, Mm -hmm. right? And those were all companies we cut deals with to include Everything from, you know, we were one of the first games on Games for Windows. Um, we had integrated uh, voiceover IP support. We had 
uh, you know, special video streaming that we did internally. We, you know, were specifically designed to play better on Intel, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And those are all just ways for us to get, you know, a little bit more money in with each of those deals to pour into the product to try to extend our, our runway. But, you know, we got to the point where we're like, oh, we, we, we have to ship it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was uh, not as not as varied in some ways, which is a little strange to say for a game that's algorithmically generated, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but just I think a lot of it was the the pacing, like the biggest thing we missed and was actually part of our very first patch was um, not having that chance a final run through to change the pacing of when content appeared. Mm-hmm. So what tended to happen is that people fairly early in the experience of going through the game had basically kind of seen everything. Yeah. And so they were like, well, God, there's nothing new. I'm, you know, I got to level 12 and my character and I'm going to get to level 40 or something. I'm, I didn't, I didn't see anything. I'm seeing all the same stuff. Um, you know, little things like that, um, that, that make a big difference at the end. But, you know, we, we did a lot of things uh, with the game that were pretty wild. And I think this year uh, I might delve into those a little more. A lot of the things we did on the technology side, um, you know, for example, we built our own 3D engine, right? This is the before the time when you could just go get Unreal off the shelf. I think it was Unreal 2 is what you mm-hmm. could get. And what we needed to do was real-time lighting. And uh, there was no 3D engines that supported that. Basically, you had to render your scene, bake the lighting in, and then put that level in a game. Um, we were like, no, we're building this on the fly, right? We're doing random algorithmically generated levels, and then we have to do the lighting. Yep. And there was no engine that could do that in runtime, so we had to build that engine. You know, we did a lot of things like that to make the game play um, that I think get uh, a lot of times in, in video games get overlooked, the mm-hmm. technological advances you have to, to jump through hoops to do, you know. But I thought that might be, uh, you know, maybe a little more, a little more wonky, uh, you know, than some of the stuff we did last year, which is me just showing off, like, look at all this cool stuff I still have you, you, from you, the game. You, you got a lot of cool stuff, though. I do, I do. Um, and uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a pack rat. I always wish I'd have been more. There's always things I think of, like, oh, oh I should have kept that thing, that one thing I didn't keep. I should have kept. Uh, but yeah, it's. I, I think that I think for people that make video games things like the books right like having physical copies of the books um that if you're fortunate enough to have something like that done for your game has a lot of meaning because everything we make is very ephemeral right we're making code we're making things that, that look beautiful but once you turn your computer off don't exist yeah. um you know it that was one of the biggest uh i think rushes for me working on disney infinity was the fact that we got to make toys right so even though uh you know the game isn't around anymore i mean it can you can get it on steam and people still mm-hmm. have discs and whatnot but i still have an entire collection of toys here and my five-year-old loves them and we've mm. just started playing a little bit of the game oh, and okay. you know which is kind of great to see that you know like i didn't i didn't have a kid when we made the game and yeah. now watching him experience it you know seeing it through his eyes is a completely different thing so there's there's all these uh, I think things that happen for video game developers um, that why you see them hang on to things even like t-shirts and hats or stuff because you're like oh it's some physical representation of this thing I poured years of my <laughs> life into um, and it's nice to just have that and touch it um, so I thought it was awesome when we talked last year too you're like oh well we have this whole thing about the books 
And I'm like, that's great, because I thought the books were actually really fun. Um, so I'm glad, you know, I wasn't the only person who thought that. Uh, I've <laughs> yeah, so, the, the story around, like, how we kind of came across those things is, is honestly just so weird, because, like, I read them many years back, back in, like, my early 20s, um, and we just found the second book in a bookstore. Uh, and that was the only one that was there. So I wasn't entirely sure if there were others when I first picked it up. And then reading it, I was like, oh, okay, this is obviously not the first book in this series. <laughs> and so I had to go like digging through mm. like secondhand bookstore, like websites to actually find the first and the third book. Mm. Uh, and now, you know, after all these years, we're now like revisiting it, obviously with that, with, you know, when that anniversary happened. Um, and so you, you say that like the anniversary, like, but the day that actually came out was more because you ran out of money. Was there still a little bit of wiggle room there where you're like, if it needs to come out now, it may as well be Halloween. Or... Yeah, yeah. We we definitely, you know, once we once you we were like looking at the runway of cash to, and not just like you know you release it and you're out of cash. You, mm. We knew that there was going to be live support, mm. yeah. so it's like we need to have X amount of months afterwards, mm -hmm. you know, and then hopefully we're making revenues and we can pour that back into the game. Mm -hmm. But you know, you you have to kind of plan for you know, X number of months afterwards, that six or months, six to eight months afterwards, you're going to try to be sticking around. And so when we were looking at that, we're like, you know, if we're going to have to come out around now, well, we might as well come out on Halloween. That seems pretty perfect if we're going to, you know, have any ability to pick somewhat of a date. Um, and I think it was a good, uh, you know, a good cheeky way to, to do that. You know, it was a, a right title to come out on that date. We wouldn't have to be concerned about were we coming out around Christmas or that exact time frame because mm. you know that was a date that was going to resonate with people who would I think would find the game fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, did you uh, did you goose the date that the Hellgates <laughs> opened in fiction to match with your release date, or was that was that already something that was decided? Uh, it was. It was. Uh, I think a little broader. Early yeah. on, and then you know, as we were honing, we like, oh, well, let's yeah, let's try to line some things up and make it kind of interesting. Um, of course, the thing that's really weird, um, you know, last year is when you is you go through the the lore and you look at when the Hellgates opened. It was 2020. Yes, <laughs> and so I felt like last year when uh, we all got to go into the absolute you know bizarre year we had uh, with COVID. I'm like, did that? No, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, no. <laughs> we we definitely had that thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so the trio of the Templar, the Cabalist, and the Hunters give Hellgate London such like a really distinct sort of combination of flavors. Um, did you sort of have all three of them in your mind from the beginning? Or was it a case of different people bringing different ideas to the table and them sort of gelling together? Yeah, the, the idea from the beginning was to try to represent kind of those three core mechanic classes, right? You've got mm -hmm. your support class, your high damage class, and your tank, right? Kind of the, the the holy trinity of classes. So we were like, well, the Templar, they're going to be the ones that can get in there and take damage and, you know, draw aggro and think through that ways. Um, and the, you know, hunter really is the damage dealer, right? They, they're kind of that glass cannon was the original intent. Um, or at least where they fell into. And then the Kabbalist is the kind of the one that can, can play a lot of different roles, mm -hmm. right? And, and having pets and everything. Um, they weren't necessarily from day one, those specific characters. Um, you know, the broad archetype was there. Um, and I think the first to come online really were the Templar, 
um, because we wanted to have something that tied into our alternative fiction, Hmm. right? Our different histories. Um, And uh, I love those kinds of books. I love creating those kinds of worlds where, uh, you know, it's like I'm watching the What If series on Hmm. Disney Plus with Marvel right now. And I have always loved that kind of stuff. Like, what if this thing was different? Then Hmm. what is the reality that spawns from that? Uh, And that's definitely where a lot of Hellgate London came from in terms of the world. And so the Templar were definitely the very first um, you know, off the line. And those were very, very early saying mm-hmm. like, we want to have, you know, these knights and the Knights Templar and how that fits into the Masons. And then the more research I started to do, it's like, oh, the lead architect and lead engineer on the London Underground were both members of the Masonic Lodge. And it's like, you just start finding all these little mm-hmm. truisms that okay. you can then warp into your <laughs> storylines, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's where like a lot of that came from. But having that idea that like there have always there's always been uh, a group that has stood between you know Earth and and the other world, um, you know, per- looking to defend us to keep the veil, uh, you know, sealed. Uh, it just makes so much sense that it's you know these knights that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay. So when and why did you reach out to Mel Autumn? Or is it Odom? I think it's Odom. It is Odom, yeah. How how did that come about? Yeah, how did that happen? Was there a short list of novelists you went like you went for? Do you know do you know them? We we talked with we talked with Pocketbooks, right, Mm -hmm. the publisher, um, and we were saying like, you know, we we have we really would like some books done. We've got some ideas on what they could be about we've got a world bible um and you know we have a we have a short list of writers do you have a short list of writers um and we had some folks like we had ra salvatore on there and you know especially in the time frame like the you know early to mid 2000s you know who was really hot and um some folks we just couldn't get because they were busy um other folks didn't really like, I don't know what that thing is. I don't write it. (laughs) Um, And I think it was pocketbooks that said, you know, we have a a writer that we, that we really love. Who's fantastic um, that we'd like you to talk to Mel Odom. And so we, you know, exchanged some emails um, and, you know, he really quickly came up with some, just a great outline of what, you know, a a story could be. Um, And we always knew we wanted it to be a trilogy Um, because we want to tell a lot of story and we really wanted this to be something where if people didn't know what the what the ip was they didn't realize it was a video game even though it you know says it on the cover that it's from a video game they would see it and be like oh this seems really interesting and could read it and it would stand alone as as a great piece of fiction um for people that played the game um you know and loved that universe we wanted this to be that that deep dive into you know Mm -hmm. understanding the everything that, that came uh, and, and happened with it and, and telling some very uh, personal stories. You know, I, I wish we would have done as good a job with storytelling in the game as Mel did with the books. I think that would have helped us an awful lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely, you know, we, we had some ideas of people. Um, I, I candidly don't recall if Mel was on our list. My memory is that it, he wasn't. Um, but that, you know, that's one of the great reasons to work with, with publishers is that they talk to everybody and see everybody. And so they said, you should, you should check this guy out. And they gave us some books to read and we chatted with him. We're like, yeah, we're sold. He seems great. 
Awesome. So how much creative freedom did Mel have with stuff like the lore? Uh, a lot. Uh, uh-huh. We, we, yeah, we, we, we gave him uh, the, the writer's Bible. Um, and, you know, a couple of us were always available and we had a lot of phone calls on things. But, you know, he was free to, you know, really kind of uh, color, color inside the lines as much as he wanted. And then we encouraged him to, like, draw outside the lines. If there's something you think is going to be great for the story and you're not sure if it's something we've covered, just, like, tell us what it is. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and so there were definitely... Um, I'm sure moments where there are things in the book that probably, um, you know, made its way back into the lore of the game because of what Mel was writing. Because the first book especially was getting written at the same time the game was being done. Um, So, you know, there was there was definitely a lot of that. uh, I know for a fact there was a couple of moments where... (laughs) Mel would ask us a question. Can I do like, this? We, we don't know yet. Like, you know, how does this work? Uh, we don't know yet. And he's like, well, how about if I, how about if it's like this? I'm like, that sounds great. And then you take a note and you're like, oh, that's pretty clear. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, we really, we really wanted to give Mel the ability to, um, to, to, to write the story that, you know, that he, he had inside him for this. And, you know, you, I think it's always challenging as someone who is like a caretaker for an IP or it's your, your worlds and your characters mm-hmm. is you want the work to be representative of them and to, when someone reads it, it's true to who, to what mm-hmm. they know. Um, but at the same time, you really want to give the writer or the creator as much freedom as you can, because that's where the magic comes from. So uh, I think we, we strove to do that with Mel quite a bit. Okay. You mentioned before there was like a story Bible that you used. Uh, what what else did that cover? Um, so it covered all of the prehistory, um, like uh, how the Knights Templar came into being, you know, the relationship between them and the Masonic Lodge, um, how the veil was pierced. Like basically um, a lot of the backstory that was in all of our heads mm. when we're making the game. Um, that's there. There's also, of course, um, things about each of the character archetypes. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. these. This is what the Templar are. These are the hunters. These are the mm-hmm. Kabbalists. Um, you know, this is what as a as a group uh, they believe or how they interact. Mm-hmm. You know, like and there's always questions like what are, what is their take on the demons? What is their take on mm-hmm. the populace? Like these different things. Um, so you at least have broad strokes to play with um and then talking about uh, a lot about the areas that get covered in the game mm-hmm. uh you know and if there were differences especially um you know if we're saying like here's saint paul's cathedral mm-hmm. um this is how we're approaching saint paul's cathedral or if there was a big moment in history this is what happened with it like in in part of our our back history there were events that occurred in london and in England, um, but always really centered around London, because that's kind of where the nexus point was, mm-hmm. the Hellgate is, yeah. um, that were, um, were big historical events, but as part of our world fiction, it's like, oh, here's why that happened, mm. right? Like, so the Great Fire of 1666, the Black Plague, like all these different things, like they're all part of attempted incursions by mm-hmm. by the demons, mm-hmm. but yep. and this is how they were handled and that kind of thing. So that hopefully then all provides this 
tapestry of thought for the writer to be able to not only um, you know launch into what a contemporary story is in the setting, but be able to reach back and and say, oh, okay, that's that's where this comes from. Hmm. Um, and then of course character art and descriptions and things like that too. So you know even before the the game was out, at least he had all the concept art and models of the characters and everything, so he would know what they looked like um, to kind of stay on brand in that way. I want to get really specific for one second here. Did the did mm-hmm. the did the story bible cover tree D's or is that something that Mel came up with? The cover three, which? Uh tree D's. They're like three D T D's. I know that's a Mel that's a Mel thing. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good. a Mel thing. Good. Yeah, I, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I like, like those like that. those little details are the super fun thing for no, a writer absolutely. to go like, oh, I'm gonna make a thing. This is like a treaties. Oh. Here they are. <laughs> we were we were big fans of uh, like you know um, Simon the the Templar character from the books uh, yeah. being like an extreme hoverboarder. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Just and that just being a thing that's now in the fiction is just like a, a beautiful yeah. piece of code now. Yeah, and that's and that's the kind of thing too where you know it, anything that's that's individual to the to the character, mm. right? Where, and like, yeah, that's a fantastic bit of business, right? It's like, oh, he's an extreme hoverboarder. Okay, great. And we're like, yeah, of course there'd be hoverboards, you know, <laughs> in, in, in 2020. And, and they're kind of are yeah, pretty close, bit, yeah. right? You know, a little bit, um, you know, plus it's a bit of an alternative history. So, you, you know, you, you have, got right. obviously uh, there's there's a higher level of technology mm. in, in this world, mm-hmm. um, though not radically different. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a you know a decade or two ahead of where we're going to really be, but um, yeah, I think that's the that's the big thing is that those kinds of things you want the writer to have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess kind of another like weirdly specific scene like there's you know that classic Hellgate cinematic trailer, you know, mm-hmm. in the church being chased by the demon. Like that scene takes place as like kind of a, a flashback in the books. Where did that scene originate? Was that something that you already had as the trailer and then was put into the books or did it go the other way? Yeah, that was already done as the trailer um, that went into the books, right? That was part of the big intro thing. And we really wanted to have as part of that, um, that kind of origin story, Mm. right? And having like, this was the day that the demons showed up and, Mm. you know, these, this band of Templar, the vast majority of them, gave their lives in a knowingly losing battle just Mm. to delay the demons long enough for some of them and as many people as they could save to get into the underground. Mm. Um, And so, you know, we wanted to, to represent that in a, uh, in a very personal way, right. And taking it, um, you know, with just individual characters and then having, um, you know, the, the girl, little girl that gets saved becomes, you know, one of the leaders, um, like a grandfather. Um, so that for us, you know, that, that was already done. That was a thing that we shared with Mel and he was like, wow, this is a great, this is a great little story. I want to make sure I kind of honor that in the books. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of the, it's probably the most memorable cinematic, uh, for me personally. Like when I think about Mm -hmm. the game, that's like, there's imagery in that specific trailer that is in my head forever now. Um, uh, I did want to ask, were the books sort of written and conceptualized all at once? How, what was the timeline like? that yeah i mean well the thing is that's amazing to me um doing some writing myself but nothing uh, to the level of just putting out like mm. really quality products as fast as a mm. lot of novelists write mm. uh mel like very fast writer mm-hmm. um and so i mean he did them sequentially but i really think in his head 
you know, he had where the, the big story arcs were going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the as we were, you know, getting, uh, doing approvals on the first book, we were already starting to see rushes on the second book. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was kind of the like, hey, at the second book, I think I'm going to end here, which is going to bring the, you know, so there was, it, it was very much done sequentially, but but very fast followed and he was already working on two as he was wrapping one and working on mm. three as he was wrapping two um and you know they and i think it's one of the reasons they hang together so well you know mm. you read you read all of them um and it it reads like something that was written almost as one mm. gigantic piece um and i think and i think it it hangs together really well i was actually just looking at um at covenant and i don't know what version i don't know what, what oh. edition you have of oh, covenant. what a question there, there's <laughs> yeah i have i have a couple different editions of the the books at this point um because my copy of the second book was stolen by a friend of ours um but, what? <laughs> yes, what i gave i gave it to him like that was kind of like the pact that we made back when we found this book in that store i was like sure mm-hmm. i'll buy this and read it but you also have to read it as well uh, and so once i finished it and gave it to him he basically fucked off to the UK and I haven't seen him since and he still has my copy oh. of the book um, so I have right. to buy another who's, one who is this guy we're getting oh, this where? <laughs> his name's Daniel um, but alright Daniel uh, I know you're listening I know you listen <laughs> so pop that book in the post and get it back yeah the, the one I'm looking at right now actually in the middle of it has an excerpt from the Tokyo Pop manga Oh wow! In it, so it has like this little side. People, you can't see yeah. this. I'm holding up to the camera so they can see it. But it has this little section in the middle, which actually has stuff like a few pages from the from the manga that got Man. done from Tokyo Pop. Should we do? Um, should we? Should we add the manga to the pile? We would. Go- I think we need. We, need we might need to investigate then. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we have, have to. You'll have to find the manga, and then you have to find the Dark Horse comics. We've got, so we've got, got that. Fine. We've got, got that. that. The comics yeah, I happen. bought that. I got that for Fergus for his birthday. Don't worry, that's uh, happening. I, <laughs> I wasn't aware of the manga, so we're mm. going to have to find that. Mm. Mm. Um, is... Yeah, because uh, we have we have noticed differences, because Fergus has mm. been reading the sort of e-books, uh, and I've been reading my physical copies, and there are, like, light changes in, I think, like... Uh, like just basic editing stuff which was always like super interesting where there would be slight changes in word choice where we'd be reading it together and just see that oh there there has actually been some changes to this story over time when it has been released in different ways um i I guess uh, so with that timing thing um were all of the books done by the time the game was out i maybe not don't all published, i don't think they came. were i don't think they were all published by the time the game came out um i'm i'm pretty sure the first one was that was the big push hmm. yeah the first game out by the time the game launched um but then the the other two um followed after that i was actually looking in the inside cover uh-huh. of mine to see if i could <laughs> sort out when it actually like the, when when uh like I think they're like go through your covenant release. Yeah, I mean, well, they're they're all copyrighted away hmm. because that's when the game came out, right? Okay. Um, and that's what they that's what they tie to. But I was looking to see when actually the publishing time is, and I'm always terrible about hmm. looking looking inside of a of a paperback <laughs> and seeing like where it says it released. Yeah, the copyright inside is is about the actual hmm. uh, initial product, right? Which right, is yeah. when, it, when it came yeah. out. Um, let's see, uh, first pocketbooks. 
First Pocket Starbucks Paperback Edition, September 2008. That's the third book. Uh, let me see when the second one came out. Now, see, this is interesting. Uh, March 2008. Okay. And the first book, uh, Exodus, came out uh, July 07. So there you go. Okay. Um, so, so they came out and then, uh, you know. Then the game, you know, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's about as fast as you're putting a book out and getting it, <laughs> uh, you know, getting it to market. And so, you know, the, I mean, the game came out, right, the October 31st, 2007. Yeah. The first book actually, um, and this was just how tight we were trying to time stuff, right? The first book came out in um, in July of 07. So it came mm. out, you Before. know, what, five, four yeah. or five months before the game actually came out. So yeah. this was out ahead of time. We, part of the hope was people would read this and say, oh, wow, this is really interesting. What is this world all about? Mm. And then the second, third books came out after the game was already out. Um, so yeah, it's, there was a lot of things where we were trying to time when a thing would come out, right? Mm. How does it, how does it actually, um, how does it release? How does it go back and forth? Um, so if people play the game and then, and then, mm get the thing or read the book or do they read the book and get the game? And so, um, you know, we had the opportunity because we were working so early with Mel that, you know, he was done before the game was, mm-hmm. um, which was great because then it came out and we had a lot of people like, oh, oh what's this? And they're really like, oh, hmm, based on the new video game. Oh, oh when's this game come out? Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's probably like eight people that bought the game because of that or whatever. I don't know <laughs> how many people like <laughs> read the book and then bought the game, but that was, that was part of the idea to kind of, you know, uh, seed seed that, things, right? That with, transmedia. With no, well, that's that's like, the thing yeah. you were talking about uh, before with the whole like meta storytelling, giving people different ways into that fictional setting and world and mm-hmm. story. So pioneering that even all the way back in two thousand seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, transmedia was the buzzword oh, back then, right? It was like, oh, transmedia, transmedia, mm-hmm. got to be everywhere on everything. And we we're like, we just would like to have some good stuff come out just some nice books you know. speaking of providing like different ways into the fiction i did want to get your thoughts uh on this hellgate vr game i have so it's really interesting right after we <laughs> yeah. um uh, after we basically closed mm-hmm. um and boy that's an awfully long story that i only tell in a pub over drinks uh we'll have to make that happen we'll have to make that i'm absolutely as soon as we can actually do that i'm up for it i love i love australia i love sydney we'll we'll make the flight and we'll do it um good but the um that uh the company we worked with uh in south korea right which to this day has the IP. Mm-hmm. They basically bought everything out of rece- receivership mm-hmm. from the bank. Um, and so they, you know, kind of got uh, all of our IP that held it, Hellgate London and they got, you know, Mythos, um, you know, for, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, and then they've continued to put out Hellgate mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think they've been very successful with it. Um, you know, and I think even when they first got it and we told them, we said, you'd be better off working with us and funding us than, you know, what it looks like you're going to do. Um, and they did what they did and they very quickly found out like, wow, we don't know how to build anything on top of your engine because this isn't a commercially available engine and none of your people 
like really would come work for them. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, we had a couple of people that were producers and stuff. They needed jobs and we're like, that's fine. You know, it's all, it's all good. But none of the engineers none of the creatives, like nobody went mm. over to support it. So they had to spend a lot of time kind of trying to figure it out. They've taken it to other platforms. They've tried to relaunch it. They did a Tokyo version, I think, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it kind of the latest stab they've taken with, uh, with Hellgate is to try to get into VR, you know, but I don't, I don't think that there's anyone there and I, and I could be wrong. Hmm. Um, but it, it reads to me like there's no one there that loves the IP. It's hmm. like they're, Hey, we have this, it's in the vault. We need to do something with it, you know, to, to get, you know, a return on investment hmm. on it. Hey, let's do a VR version. Hey, let's do a, this version. Hey, let's do a relaunch, you know, on steam. But if you look at the reviews, that's kind of what they all say. It's like, I don't, I don't see anything new here, you know, yeah. like, yeah. and, and I think there's a lot of people that would love to see it come back in some way, but done with the attention and care and passion, you know, for it. Um, Cause I do think it's a, I think it's a really cool world. I think there's a lot of stuff there that, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that we didn't deliver the game that, that I think we had in our, our heads and our hearts, hmm. you know? Um, and I think it was really rough too, for us from the standpoint that, you know, because we did so much stuff, cause we did all the transmedia stuff, we did the books and hmm. we did the mangas and we did figures from Weta hmm. and like all these different things. And we really promoted like crazy. We had something like, I think it was like 27 magazine covers by the time the game had come out, wow. you know, just like, uh, you know, back when print magazines were, everybody got their news about, <laughs> I, I <laughs> about video games. I definitely remember a few local print magazines with Hellgate yeah. covers. Yeah. We, we, you know, we just really went all out mm. to, to promote the game, to get the, to get the game out there. Um, a lot of that was from how we approached things when we were all at Blizzard. You know, I mean, I grew up in the industry at Blizzard. And so it was like, you got to spend millions of dollars on your cinematics. You got to do these, you know, all these big press events, all this different stuff. And so we push, 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 pushed. And I think by the time the game came out, the expectations were probably candidly un- unattainable. You know, <laughs> we were never going to have the game mm-hmm. that people saw in their heads after we talked about it so much. And, you know, I always strove to be very honest about what was happening while at the same time getting people excited about what could be, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what what was in our plans. Um, it's really funny. I, I kind of keep looking up over my monitor. Uh, I have a, um, I don't know, like PAX is happening this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. The big pad, the big event and Penny Arcade, um, you know, back, back in 2007, um, right after we announced our kind of our, our how we were going to do our, our online strategy. Hmm. There was this big thing about, you know, we're going to have two types of players. There's free play, which is basically you buy the game, you can play online for free and you get all this stuff and everything's for free. But then if you're one of our subscribers, if you're the elite level, that lets you then get other content that comes down and everything. Today, that is a completely standard approach mm-hmm. to monetization. Yes. Yeah, right? It's how tons of you like, Back in 2007, no one was doing this. And so people were like, wait a minute, what does this mean? And so there's this great comic that mm-hmm. uh, Penny Arcade did where on one side, it's like elite players. And they've got this great drawing of somebody in the Templar armor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, may eat at the elite table in the lunchroom. 
They kick sand <laughs> on free players while at the beach. Elite players may devour free play, free play users at any time. Elite players may ride free play users like mounts. And then on the other panel, it says free play, and it's a guy in a t-shirt that says armor and he's got like a cardboard sword that's taped together <laughs> and a little like a little he's got a colander on his head is a helmet oh, and it says man. free play users may not look upon elite players <laughs> <laughs> and it says free play users may not speak to elite players even if the elite player tries to trick the free player into speaking to them by saying what's up or a free player user says what and then <laughs> with our logo and it's it's it was exactly how people reacted to us mm. trying to get across what this very new mm. idea around how to like you know say hey if you want to play and play for free forever like you did with diablo that's totally cool but we have a subscription we wanted to do microtransactions, which basically there was i think two games in the world doing that both in south korea at the time mm. and we're like this is fantastic like this just like people kind of pay as they go we really really want to do this but it was so new our publishing partners especially mm -hmm. in the US, we're like, oh, no way. Like, we don't know how to model that for revenues. Um, so we're like, well, but okay, well, then what about subscriptions? You know, that that's a thing. And they're like, yes, yeah, so you do a subscription model, then we can we can project revenues. So we we tried to do that. And then be, again, because it was so new, all the elite players were always saying like, why is that a free thing? That mm -hmm. should be a thing only elite players get. And free players would say, why is that an elite thing? Mm -hmm. Everybody should have that, right? So it was crazy like that was another thing that we did for this game that really hadn't been done before yeah. um and and i think you know hurt us in the end but um was just the way we were always trying to think of like what can we do different how can we mm. make this game different make this world different um and and have a way you know honestly the the thing we were trying to do with that is like how how can we make as much of this game free for people to play online where we're paying for the servers and we're paying for the connectivity, right? And well, if we can do that by having another another group of players that pay for a bunch of other stuff and that pays for the continuing content mm -hmm. and pays for the servers, everything, well, that's great. Then everybody wins. But again, like today, everybody does that. Totally makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. In 2007, what? Nobody, nobody got it. Is it is it uh is it validating to see the popularity of stuff like Destiny and see the sort of echo of Hellgate in those games? Like. Yeah, I guess like there's this real big legacy of kind of mm. all of the things that you did for Hellgate London. And everyone's like, no, no, just, thank you, not this. And then these games come along standard. and they're like, yeah. fantastic. It is. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's it's great. Like uh, mm. it's great to see. Um, you know, Borderlands obviously was was yep. very much mm. in the same. You know, we were we were trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We just approached yeah. it from different corners, mm. angles. Fallout Three um, coming out at the same time as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and like Destiny is great. Like when that came out, I played. It, I'm like going, oh, okay, yes, obviously. People, and I've talked to people on that team. They're like, oh, well, yeah, of course we played. I'll get London. You know, it's <laughs> like so. It's it's really good to see that. I mean, what's uh, uh, Outriders? Right. Oh, right yes. Now yes, yeah. you look at that, and it's like I've had friends who are like, "Oh, have you played Outriders yet?" Because it's like Hellgate London. You know, you should go play it. Um, <laughs> oh and gosh. and that's that. Like there is there is a, a huge part that is like you, you have to take that as a big compliment, mm, yeah. right? That that you and the team worked and you built the thing and you put it out there, and then even though it wasn't ultimately successful for a host of reasons, um, the ideas that were there have lasted and gone on and you know inspired and look i'm not gonna lie i would rather be the borderlands guys 
you know, sure. down the line and be the ones that are like, oh, hey, look at that. It worked out. It's great. We got bought by Microsoft for, you know, the cost of a small planet. Woo. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is at this point, you know, it's great to talk with people like you two that are like, we love the world. Mm. We love the universe. Mm. You know, we read that. I have tons of people. There's the, the Hellgate 2038 project, mm. Um, which mm. is they've basically reverse engineered all of the mm-hmm. online code <laughs> and they're like yes. yep if you get a copy of the game you can play online and i'm like man that's just amazing uh you know anytime you 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 work on something and when it doesn't uh kind of exist in most ways anymore mm. to see other people still celebrate it still be inspired by it still find ways to to resurrect it um you know that is a big deal mm. so i personally you know i i love seeing it and uh, you, you have to take it as a compliment mm. okay um on that also a similar line there uh hellgate has like a very unique tone beyond the just the looter shooter mechanics do you other is there anything in the modern space that you think like uh takes that a similar approach uh i was very much reminded i think uh there was a game last year or the year before remnant from the ashes yeah, yeah, yeah. I think very, like very much so. Yeah. It's, it is neat to see whether it's things mm. about a world, like their approach to, mm. to storytelling or to, mm. you know, even monster designs. Sometimes I'll see something mm. like, oh, ooh, ooh, that, mm. looks a little, that looks a little Hellgate-y. Mm. Uh, I, I know where they got that idea from. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, to, to character classes. Like the one that really hit me last year was Outriders. Um, mm. Somebody sent me a, a link. They're like, oh, dude, you got to check out this game. This is really cool. Check out the, the video. And the trailer, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like one of the shots, I I stopped it, and then I went back and found like almost the exact same shot from the Hellgate. Incredible, video absolutely done. incredible. Right, we've got like three; they're all three standing there, and one's got the sword out, and the whole thing. I'm like, "Oh, I love it." And the gun was a gun. You're like, "That there it is." Um, yeah, it was really it was really interesting, you know. And and I think that um, you know sometimes things will come up. Like we had a pretty. Um, we had a pretty interesting take on um, on cr- crafting, really, but modding, mm, yes. right? So whenever I see games that do like modding, that is kind of the same way, you know. I think we we were a little forefront of that. Like one of the big things we did, which seems so simple, um, and I've definitely seen lots of other games do it after we did, was this concept of like armor dies. Mm. And what we did is because we had this real interest in not having our characters. Uh, look like they were in we, we, what we call those look like they were in clown suits because you would get all these different pieces of armor and you're just trying to collect the best armor for you stat wise but this one's got a blue glow and mm-hmm. this one's got like green and this one's orange and you're like oh my god you look you can look horrible and you'd you'd apply mm. the die kit which are like this master slotted item and then it would basically like take all your armor and p- apply the same color schema to it so it would instantly make you look a ton better <laughs> just because you were at least in the same uh you know color works frame um and i've seen a, i saw a lot of games you know after that pretty quickly like oh hey that's a pretty good idea like we can just <laughs> give players a lot of freedom to to change their look in a really easy way mm, yeah um you know so just even little things like that that i never really um saw and if somebody did it before that uh, i apologize if i'm trying to say if i'm taking your thunder somehow but i <laughs> i didn't really see anybody do that and it was driven from us from that standpoint of we know people are going to mismatch armor like crazy Mm, and that could look really goofy in diablo so let's how do we make it not look goofy Uh, i guess uh, kind of along a similar line along that that legacy of hellgate if if you still owned 
the Hellgate property in the year of our Lord 2021, would you, like, what direction do you think you would have gone with it? Do you think there would have been, like, you know, an official remaster at this point of, you know, Hellgate? Or, like, you know, would you have maybe made it like a Hellgate 2 or something at this point? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think by now, you know, maybe, maybe there'd be a remaster. I don't think it would be just like, how do we take what was there and put it out again? Yeah. Um, Because it had, it definitely had, you know, its challenges. And there's people that go back and play it and they're like, poof. Well, there's some stuff that's not great in here. Talking about um, me. You know, from a, from a balance standpoint, and you know, from a, you know storytelling and things like that. Uh, to me, it it would be so much of you know the world, how we approached it, how we approached the the characters and the balancing of the classes. Um, you know, taking all of that as you know uh, inspiration and 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 kind of foundational groundwork to then create something new, right? The two mm-hmm. things I would always love to do is to make, you know, a big, um, to make a, a, a kind of an MMO space type thing, but mm-hmm. more more along the lines of, um, more along the lines of maybe like a Conan Exiles, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Where you've yeah, yeah. got fewer players. It's not necessarily about like, hey, we want to have a thousand people on the server or something, right? Like that game can mm-hmm. be really good with eight players or 10 players, mm-hmm. you know, telling a telling a more intimate story and then being able to not, to, to much more accurately represent um, the, the external world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was the big thing that I think people looked at is, you know, we came up with these points of interest that when you went there, if you went to Covent Garden Station, um, like the the actual station exterior was accurate, yep. but then everything around it was always randomly generated because that's yes. what we were doing, yeah. right? And so people would be like, oh, I don't know. That's not how you walk around. That's not where this thing is. I'm looking for this. So, you know, having the opportunity to build a space that was uh, more, it was actually accurate to, to London mm. in a lot of ways, um, I think could be super interesting. Um, the other thing I would I'd love people to do is to then build something that is a, um, I think there would be a great single player, you know, Dragon Age, Skyrim type of game in there yeah. where, you know, you are an individual, um, you know, Templar or Hunter or Cabalist, and there's a big story revolving around you and you're interacting with the other, you know, guilds basically. You know, like just the idea of like, well, what what is that world seen through the eyes of a Kabbalist, like in a very personal way? Mm, yeah. You know, um, I think would be would be great. Um, and there's I mean, there's just a ton of stuff. There's you know, that that was the thing we, we really focused on was we didn't want to make like this kind of looter shooter action RPG um, and then put a world on top of it. We very much like we want to build a world. We want to, to build our own little universe that we could do anything in hmm. right we could tell anything i mean if you you know and especially if you if you read the books and you see the level of storytelling that can be done there like i i would be if i had if i had this ip right now i'd be pitching the hell out of it to netflix <laughs> and hulu and hbo and like you want to like super cool world yep. to do stuff in like this is it right Get the, and, the castlevania like guys oh. Onto onto Hellgate. Yep. Yeah. Oh. You could do you could do it as an anime. I mean, they just announced they're doing a live action like Blades in the Dark. If you've ever played I that, did see that. Yeah. RPG. Fascinating. Right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Is right mm. now it is it is it is the time mm. to be a nerd slash geek, right? Mm. I just watched the trailer for Will, uh, Will Wheel time? of Time. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yesterday I'm like, oh my god, they're doing a Wheel of Time show. <laughs> you know, it. And so like I would be mm. new Dune movies not only coming out. really pushing it 
in, in the gaming space what we do, but just like we do when we launched mm. it, like what else could we do to tell stories in this world? And I just think that there's, it's really compelling. I mean, the thing that's, that's wild is even how some of our stuff was designed. If you look at the, like the cover of the, of the first book, mm. right, of Exodus, mm. with the Templar on there and that, and that, that helmet, right, mm. which, is, which is pretty distinct. Um, if you go and do a little Google searching, you can find paintball helmets that were done that look exactly <laughs> like this, that were basically ripped from that. And so people are like, oh, hey, this is really cool. That's a cool design. And you can find, maybe even still to buy, but like paintball type helmets that are looking that are templar helmets the hustle um, the hustle I, i'm gonna yeah. see if so it's which is just which is just wild <laughs> um, but yeah uh, you do uh from what i've seen online you do a bit of like uh, tabletop actual play stuff have you ever thought about revisiting the world of hellgate through that i have actually um one of the one of the things i've thought about mm-hmm. um it is contacting uh you know Hambitsoft, who owns the mm-hmm. the ip now and see if they would license me the license it to me to do a tabletop RPG because oh. um, I think some storytelling in that world and you know would be mm-hmm. really cool um, and there'd be a lot of stuff to do there. I it, it I, it's a little I, I always have this weird thing about it like hey I'd like to license back the thing I made <laughs> um, you know which feels a little odd but uh, but at the same time mm. you know that probably wouldn't be bad for everybody. Um, to do, you know, every now and then, I would we'll... kickstart the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, all right. Well, there we go. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe I should contact them and say, hey, you'd like to do, and then that could be a thing where you know maybe that's mm. the name recognition that would would help mm. make uh, it make it a successful thing. Because I I not only like, love playing them and I've you know run stuff and I've tried to write the characters up in like mm. groups and some different you know groups mm. is a great system because it's universal but it's also very realistic mm. uh, in that way. Um, you know, really gritty, uh, and you know, I'm in the middle of writing a, a, a my own RPG right now for tabletop, and so it's one of those things where I could see that happening at some point. I think it just is when, <laughs> whenever I feel like, okay, I can yeah. maybe have that conversation. <laughs> uh, that, that's that's I think that's fair enough. Um, uh, hacks are obviously always a thing, uh, but uh, I think me and Nicole would definitely lose our mind over the opportunity to do some Hellgate roleplay. <laughs> Yeah, oh, absolutely. There we go. Yeah, um, like we're we're um, in the middle, well, of like trying to start up a number of different role playing games. Obviously, it is quite difficult in Sydney right now. But mm-hmm. to add to the pile of things that I need to write a Hellgate London campaign, I, I that would be <laughs> joyful for me. <laughs> yeah, and there's it's really interesting. Like you know, I, mm. I've I've played, I I grew up playing D anD. d like well, a heck of a lot of people did um and then you know really went and did a bunch of stuff played a lot of champions which is actually when i got to go work at cryptic studios mm-hmm. and work on the champions video game was actually super cool because i'd been one of the very early players in the original tabletop game mm-hmm. um, they did testing at local game stores and they happened to be doing testing on that at the local game store where i grew up so i you know i played it when it was like here here's some printed out stuff <laughs> like read this you know in a staple together um, and, uh, and really over the last, you know, probably 10 or 12 years, I've just tried tons and tons of stuff. So whenever I think of different franchises and it's like, oh, what would be the right system to write it up in? You know, mm-hmm. like, it's like, you could do, you could definitely do a super gritty thing in GURPS with Hellgate London, but you could do a really cool powered by the apocalypse mm-hmm. style thing too, where it's more about here's the playbooks, 
Hmm. Right. Here's the Templar playbook. And it's hmm. more about the storytelling and less about the crunchiness. Um, but yeah, that's actually that's actually really interesting. Now you got me thinking about that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, what, I'll make it a deal. If I if I end up doing that, um, I'll make sure you're both on the beta playlist, oh, so you can um, please can give us some feedback. Oh, that would be just phenomenal. Um, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute treat. Uh, it's been super fascinating to pick your brain about the books and how get London in general. Um, I think we generally approach the the game and the and the books with like good spirits and a few jokes, but genuinely. Your work has meant so much to us over the years. It means so much that you came on to chat. Yeah, it's, it's um, been like... The reason Fergus and I are still friends after knowing each other back all the way when we were like 11 is that throughout high school, we went to different schools. And one of the things that kept us together really was like playing Hellgate. So like wow. genuinely, it's really, really awesome to get to the chance to talk to you about it. Well, thanks. I mean, that, that really means a lot, like sincerely. You know, that's one of the things that um, I think a lot of us get into making games for is that you hope that it is fun for people and is you know and, and now is when you first started making games it was like hey we got two people to connect over mm. a land that's how long <laughs> i've been doing it right that's oh, amazing you know and now it's just like how do you at a big the biggest i'll make communities and let people mm. get together but like the what you just said that kind of moment where it's like we've known each other since we were 11 and there was a bunch of time where we didn't go to the same school, but we connected and stayed mm. friends through, through a game, uh, is just, it's super meaningful. Mm. Um, you know, I had a friend, uh, send me a video and then he posted it on Twitter of, um, cause I put up some pictures of when I was leaving Disney, I was like, Hey, here's my Disney infinity collection. <laughs> I should set this kind of thing up again. I was like all the figures mm. and, a, and a couple of friends of mine were like, Oh yeah. Wow. We just found this video of when, when, uh, infinity 3.0 came out, they gave it to their son who was really young mm. at the time. Mm. Obviously it was like six years ago and they put the video up and he's like, Hey, remember when daddy said it's prize here? And he pulls it out and then he's like, Oh, he's <laughs> freaking out. And it's like that right there is the mm. reason, right? It's not, yeah fame or money or notoriety or blah 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 or anything it's like when people play the thing you've worked on and it's meaningful to them that's what makes it all worthwhile so thank you both for having me on and for sharing that because that's uh, that's really amazing no worries i think that's a great uh point to sort of sign off on but is there anything else you would like to shout out before we do go um yeah uh, the the part of the the Two places you can find me the most. One is, of course, on Twitter, which is uh, at Bill Roper. Super mm -hmm. easy to remember. Um, and uh, as Fergus talked about, I am sure when we get to uh, the anniversary this year for Hellgate, I'm going to be putting up a bunch of other stuff that I can find or get my hands on um, and talk about. Uh, and then I'm also on the um, Happy Jacks RPG Network. I've got a couple more sessions on the game I'm running now. Um, that's been my big thing, actually. Has everybody tried to find a thing to do during the <laughs> pandemic? Like, I'm home all the time. And, um, you know, I lived in London for a couple of years, and then we moved uh, up here to kind of the Pacific Northwest a couple of years ago. And I'd really gotten away from being able to role play, and that was very pointed this last mm. year. Like you said, like, mm. you, you can't get together with people. You can't do it in person. Um, so I've been doing a lot of streaming role playing, with mm. friends, and then I, you know, um, I know the the Happy Jacks crew super super well because like my best friend in the world started it, and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and our band's music gets played on there, and blah blah blah. And so I said like, hey, I really want to run something, and so that 
for the last, um, you know, probably six months or so uh, has been like really uh, like a spiritual salve for me. It's like, oh, I'm getting to like run a thing and role play. And even though I'm kind of forever GMing, I'm still loving doing it. So <laughs> there's a lot of great shows there. There's a bunch of stuff that's about to start up and we're kind of in the last two sessions. Mm. Um, we were super lucky. Uh, for as you mentioned, like Twitter, right? Where it's like, hey, there was just a thing and I saw your thing and we talked and now I'm on mm. your show, right? Uh, I did the same thing with, um, with Noah uh, Everback Katz, who played Rin on season three of Discovery, mm -hmm. and Dorian, if you watch mm -hmm. that, and he just posted a thing about like, oh man, I'm loving role playing, and you know, I'd love to check out more systems. Yes. And I just like basically said, hey, if you want to come on and do a guest spot on my stream, you should totally do that. And I, you know, gave him the like intro video that I, I put together for it, and he was on last week. It was amazing, That's right? It's just like. Incredible. Geekery and nerdiness oh, brings us together yeah. uh, across the globe, and uh, yeah. and, it's, and it's fantastic. And I just like want to keep doing it forever. Uh, I would say any sci-fi TV show that has its cast play tabletop role-playing games is just like a bullet straight to my heart. Like you just you've won me over forever. I think <laughs> Expanse as well. I think they oh, have yeah, some going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of, of A Memory or Two, a podcast about Hellgate London. We will be back with more soon. I promise. But in the meantime, read on. I love, what? I love, I love branded wine. Branded wine. Yeah, that was our, when we opened the studio, we, uh, the founders did mm. bottles of wine that we saved until we shipped. So they had aged five years by the time we got to that's, open them up. That's, that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Something crazy.